Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And calling in from the road is our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Max, where in the world are you right now? In the words of uh, Wayne's World, I'm in Delaware. Oh, wow. we're in Delaware. Uh, also joining us, not in such an exotic location, in fact, only in this boardroom, <laughs> is intern Erica on the dials. Erica, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Good. I feel Good. like it's been a while Good. since we've seen you. Yeah, it has. What, have we just not done a pod in a while, Max, since you left? I can't remember the last time we podded. I think a week mm-hmm. or so, yeah. It always feels long uh, when the four of us aren't together doing this because it is so fun to do. Max, do you have any tales from the road? You've been gone for what, like four days now or something? Oh, good question. Uh, yeah, we've only been uh, gone for, yeah, for about four days. We played two shows, playing with this band Coin that are very good. We were in North Carolina yesterday in Asheville. They, uh, we're playing with this band Coin, and they have a, kind of a younger crowd. But the one thing I'll say is the song Mr. Brightside by the Killers lives on. Like every 18-year-old in the crowd was going nuts uh, when that song came on between bands. It was like really a sight to be seen. So anyway... Long live the killers. That's all I got. <laughs> um, all right. Well, do you guys want to just jump right into topics then today? Let's well, do d- it. Does anyone know what day it is today? John and Lennon's birthday. And? Uh, uh, International Walk Your Kids to School Day. No, it's also <laughs> Mike's birthday. <gasps> really? Oh, shit. It's true. Me and John Lennon were born on the same day. In fact, also Sean Lennon. John Lennon and Sean Lennon were both born on the 9th. Wow. John and Sean, born on the same day. And then many years later, <laughs> Mike Veerman uh, entered this Happy world. Oh, thanks. And John yet. Lennon's your favorite guy. He is. He is. Always been my favorite. I always wondered, actually, if, if I'm a John Lennon guy because we shared the birthday or if, if it's just a coincidence that we shared the birthday. You know? It could give him a head start for sure. Like if you're debating between Paul McCartney and John. That's true. Because you love the Beatles. I love so. the Beatles. Yeah, they're a big part of my, my, my growing Mike, up. Mike, are you insulted that we uh, did not know that it was your birthday? I'm mm. really sorry. I'm really bad at that when it comes oh, to my friends' birthdays. I, I actually don't know what your birthday is, Max. Uh, I do know oh, Shane's. Oh, that makes me feel much better. Yeah. I guarantee you do not know my birthday. You are May 14th. No. Fuck. Yeah, uh, May 12th. <laughs> I knew it was May, and I knew it was, <laughs> there was one in front of it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm not insulted at all. When are you, Max? What are you, you March? No. Try again. November. November, yep. Okay, I knew it was November. See, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I, do, I don't know the day. 20? Uh, 30, yeah. Oh, no, mm-hmm. see, there's zero in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Erica, what's your, what, what are you? I'm May 17th. May 17th. Oh, Hugh Taurus. Nice. Taurus, yeah. Um, actually, my daughter hey. is also born in October, but she's a, uh, she's a Sagittarius. I'm a little crushed, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm a Libra. No, she couldn't be a Sagittarius if she's born in October because uh, Sagittarius is the end of November into December. You, uh, Scorpio, are you thinking? Scorpio. I knew it was an S. You're right. Scorpio. Because yeah. Drake is October's very own. So I was like, oh, Drake's a Libra. I always thought for years. And then it turns mm. out he's a Scorpio, like my daughter. In fact, born on the same day as Drake. Are you a horoscope guy, uh, Yeah, Max? how did you know that? Oh, no, no. I don't know anything about horoscopes. Do you think I believe in that shit? That's like the most like hocus-pocus nonsense <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> We're going to be getting some uh, uh, listener uh, <laughs> feedback on that one, Max. <laughs> Oh, I, I welcome it. I, like, please, 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 please talk to me about that nonsense. I'll, I'd love to hear you go on and on about the stars and how it affects our personalities and shit. Like, okay, yeah, let, let's let's talk about it. You're the Bill um, Burr of but, uh, horoscopes. <laughs> He's going in hard. Um, but you know, no. I was gonna say that I don't. Um, I'm not a. Uh, I'm, I, I don't care that you don't know my birthday. Only in the sense that I don't celebrate my birthday. If Shane hadn't have brought it up, I wouldn't have brought it up. Well, it, it is helpful that your birthday is on the same day as someone very famous. Is that what trick it tipped you? That off? you like as well. Yeah. Well, that you're connected to. I want to say yes, but what happened was Erica was lying to us uh, in our text group. Oh yes. Saying that uh, your brother Greg uh, went to see the Joker last night. So I asked him how it was. Yeah. But he said I didn't see the Joker last night. And then he anyway. We got on about how Erica was a liar, and then, <laughs> and then, and then he said, uh, "You coming out for Mike's birthday tonight?" And I was like, "Oh fuck!" And, ah. I, and then I just I put John Lennon on my screen, and then I saw you walk by, and I pointed to the screen to signify that it was his birthday, and then segue into how it was, of course, your birthday. And you gave me a high five. You tricked me. I thought, "Oh, he must have saw it was John Lennon's birthday," and that you know tripped up the memory in his mind. I know. I was like, "What's the uh, a more plausible uh, way to forget?" Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I was triggered by this, but I still know you're in John 
birthday is the same. Yeah. So, but in general, I don't, uh, I haven't in many years celebrated like a birthday. I'm just not like a birthday guy, mostly because we do a lot of fun things all year round. I'm very much a proponent of like, I don't like like birthdays or anniversaries or like stuff where you're sort of like, or, or Valentine's Day where you're mandated to like do something special or give gifts. I'm very much like, if it's a random Wednesday, let's go have a nice dinner at a restaurant. You know, it's like, I, don't I feel like we offer ourselves like a treat yourself like occasion once or twice a week. You know, it's like one for you and Danica and then at least one or two for you and your buddies, which is basically the equivalent of like the celebration of your own birthday. I say we do that. You probably get it two to three times a week, Mike. And I'd say I get it about three or four times a week. Shane, maybe one. Erica, mm-hmm. I don't know how much you party, but yeah, I think <laughs> for, for us, it's like we have so many good occasions, as you say. It's like we're so blessed that when it comes to doing fun shit. Exactly. So, so for that for that reason, I'm not really a birthday guy, and I wouldn't have brought it up if Shane hadn't brought it up. Do you guys tend to celebrate birthdays? Are you guys big birthday uh, people? I pull the cool guy move too. I think it's a <laughs> if you're a man, it's kind of a cooler move to just pretend like it's not your birthday, <laughs> and then you know, like there's probably one friend who knows who's gonna let it slip. That one friend is my brother. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have figured it out just because I'm sure someone would have mentioned John Lennon today, or I, <laughs> or like some headline which would have triggered me, but. Another cool guy move, if no one mentions it, if you just happen to be out for drinks, say, hey, yeah, it's my birthday, by the way. It's like, whoa, you, you dog, you kept ah, it for me. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Erica, do you celebrate your birthday? Yeah, Big I do. Big birthday person? Are you like a full week of celebrations? No, usually just like one day of going out. But one thing I say I don't do is take it personally if someone can't attend. Mm-hmm. I, have, I know some mm. people who take it very personally. If you won't make time for their birthday and it's like, dude, like we're busy. Is like, it sexist to say women are more intense about their birthdays? Um, no, I don't think so. That's probably true. Especially younger women. Like oh, we don't have, say. we don't want any babies running around or yeah. like shit to do or like mortgages to pay, you know? So <laughs> we got some, we got time. You're making our, our lives sound so fun right <laughs> now. Uh, Maxie, do you celebrate your birthday or what? I, I do like it, but um, I don't have it on my Facebook, so people, a lot of people don't know. And I don't I either. Yeah, me either. On. It's the ultimate cool guy move. Yeah. But Dan Hamilton, he usually does a good job of uh, letting you guys know that it's my birthday. Um, famously, you guys surprised me on my birthday a couple years ago and basically kidnapped me and took me to Detroit for a basketball game. And I showed up to the hotel, and there was another eight of eight champagne boys waiting for me, which was one of the best birthday surprises ever. Uh, that was overall, an amazing no, night. That was a really great time. See, that that's actually a good example of like, it's almost like the birthday was an excuse to do something really fun together as a group. Maybe that's it. It's just like we have a lot of like normal awesome days, but if there's like a, a bit of planning and a bit of thoughtfulness that goes into that person's day, I think that's a really sweet thing. So maybe we should just do that more often, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Because yeah. it's very rare to get more than six champagne boys out together. These days. So any excuse you can to have that moment happen, I find that's that's not a once or twice a week thing that happens. That's probably like a once or every, every four months that happens. Yeah, I, I guess I have an idea. What if, what if what if we have like we do a thing for one of our friends where for no particular reason other than we just want to shower them with affection and fun that we just like pick one of them. So like Sean Dawson, like hey Sean, like. Sean, just be ready next Wednesday night. He'd be like, what's going on? I'm like, don't worry about it. And then we treat it like it's his birthday or we do something special that is very Sean specific. And then it's just another excuse for all of us to get together. I know all the, the girlfriends and wives might be rolling their eyes at that, but I think that might be a nice, nice move. In theory, it's a great idea. It's just kids do muddle that a little bit because mm. you have to plan a little bit more. Yeah. Also, I want to make it clear that I was not, when my brother said, are you going to come up for a drink for Mike's birthday? I was not setting up drinks. I actually ran into my brother. He lives a block away from me on our way to work yesterday morning. And I said, I have a work, we have a work event after uh, work today, Shane and I. Uh, you know, as people that listen to this pod know, we have a day job. And someone who makes a lot of music, actually, uh, for our commercials, like original music, he's in from Calgary. And so he's treating everyone in our department uh, out to, like, drinks and dinner. Total coincidence that it happened to be today. But my brother was like, let's get a drink. And I was like, well... We're going to be doing this thing. If you want to hang out after, I'll get a drink with you. And he knew it was my birthday. And now, Shane, you're going to be around, too. I know. Well, I had told my wife, Alex, that I was going to go home tonight after the dinner. Mm. I was like, I'll be home around 9 or 10. But then I found out about the big birthday. Mm. So now there's no way that can happen. Will she be like, but Mike doesn't even celebrate his birthday. I know Mike doesn't think it's a big deal. No, she'll just be like, he's got me there. Like, you know, because that's it's a good it's a good excuse to go out. Only happens once a year. And it's like, I'm an idiot, you know, and and I legitimately wasn't acting when I said I'll be home early. 
I was just like, I'm going to go to the perfunctory uh, work event and come home. You know, also, the, I mean, I wasn't going to talk about my birthday, and then Shane brought it up. But the one thing I will say is this is my first birthday ever waking up and uh, having a little kid. I've never had a kid before on my birthday. And so it was really um, – I know we joke. And we're like, hey, kids, you know, they – you used to party a lot more, and now you can't, and you have to make all these concessions, which is true. But th- I- I've never felt the way I felt uh, when I woke up this morning, and my daughter was, like, crawling on me and giving me a hug and a little kiss. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, like, really special. The best birthday gift you could ask for. A hundred percent. And it's one of those things that it's, like, you, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I've never cared about birthdays before, but then this one felt sort of special because, I don't know, I was staring at her, and I was like, well, this is something I've never experienced in my life. So, anyway. What did she get you? What she, buy? <laughs> she didn't give me shit, Max. She's only 11 months old. But, uh, uh, I'm hoping by huh. maybe in maybe in, in a few years she'll be able to uh, I don't know, draw on an egg or something. I don't know. What do kids get people like a rock? For your birthday? Paint on a rock? I don't know. Kids always it's in always October. Ha- it's like handcrafted things, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. cute. I like the. Or they find something or like in the cupboard and they're like, "This is for you. I got it for you. It's like a spatula or something." Yeah, or like a yeah, piece okay, of dry thanks. macaroni. It's like, oh, thank or you. Like I will put it with the rest of my yeah. treasured uh, items. Uh, but yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway. <laughs> That's that. Guys, you know, Shane, you mentioned uh, the Joker because uh, Erica said my brother <laughs> had gone to see it. Turned out that was a, uh, I'm not going to say it was a lie. Well, was no. Misinformation. Well, his plans had changed. But the last time I spoke to Greg, he was, he told me he was going to the movies on Tuesday to see the Joker. I said, oh, I'm supposed to watch that for the pod. Can I come? He said no. But okay. wait. He might have been going on a date. Who knows? But right? you can still, he can't dictate what you can night. do with your life. You can still go and just hide in the back and just not sit with him. Well, that's the thing. But here's the other thing. Uh, I had an opportunity to go see the Chainsmokers. And I was like, I'll, I'll ditch the Chainsmokers to come see the Joker because I don't really care that much for the Chainsmokers. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no. But don't let Greg control your life. I know. I still could have gone and saw it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't really want to. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I've never been to a movie by myself. I don't like doing that. Okay. Mm, and people were kind of scared to go see the Joker as well, like that yeah. theater experience. So Greg did not see the Joker. Erica, as we know, did not see the Joker. No. She saw the chain smokers, not the Joker. I didn't see that either, actually. Oh, what, you mm. ditched that as well? Yeah. Okay, there you have it. <laughs> uh, but Shane, myself, and Max have seen the Joker. We wanted to talk about this. Max put it in the group. He said, I imagine, Max, you must have just walked out of a theater. She said, everybody yep. see the Joker. We're talking about it on the next pod. Max, what did you want to talk about with the Joker? Are we talking about the film, the merits of it, criticism, or are we talking about sort of the uh, media storm that surrounded the release of it and the controversy in sort of the uh, the content and the way it might influence society? Yeah, I kind of wanted to get into both because I feel like I read and heard so much about the Joker and like the themes about it. It seemed like a lot of people were kind of pissed off about it for some reason. And then I watched the movie and I really enjoyed it. So I kind of want to talk about both like the sort of the expectations going into the movie and uh, yeah, and how you guys felt about it. So I don't know, Shane. Let's start with you. What, what, what were you thinking going into the movie, like based on what you had heard, and what did you make of it? I was after you thinking saw it? about how much I hate uh, the Joker in general. Like uh, I did not like Heath Ledger as the Joker at all. I hate that kind mm. of character. It's it's so ridiculous to me a superhero movie that I have a really tough time uh, sitting through them. And especially a character like the Joker, I find particularly not scary at all. He's just annoying. (laughs) I don't like a creepy person trying to be creepy. I'm not scared by that at all. But I am scared by a creepy person pretending they're not creepy, Mm. which was Mm. this Joker film, which really uh, freaked me out. And especially like they handled it with the violence with realism. There wasn't that like sound effect that happens when you... Somebody gets like punched. We're disappointed they didn't have the POW card come up. Well, just that (laughs) noise. Even in even in real action movies, they'll add that special effect. Oh yeah. Like they kind of went with like a a a realism to the violence that I uh, I enjoyed. The way violence would be in an indie movie, like the way that we sound mixed Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Sure. Or like in the movie Heat, there when anytime they're shooting someone, the the gun noise is how a gun's actually sound. What did you think of sort of like because you'd heard all the same things? Oh, this is going to sort of uh, ignite uh, a bunch of incels or like people that might be feeling this way. This movie might be an excuse for them to do something violent because there was a lot of think pieces. This movie uh, premiered at Venice International Film Festival, and out of that, a lot of people that were in that theater, a couple people that were in that theater, wrote sort of think pieces on why this is a dangerous movie. And then it seemed like there was this avalanche of think pieces of people who hadn't seen the movie talking about why this movie might be dangerous yeah. or bad for society. So it kind of colored the way that people went into this film, including me. What did you think of sort of the storm pre-seeing it? It made me scared. Uh, and I definitely, when I was, I, 
I had pre-booked the tickets to see this movie so my wife and I could sit beside each other. But they were wheelchair seats. So when you book a wheelchair seat, it says... Uh, you want to do that? Well, it says uh, you may be... This is... Uh, upon buying this ticket, please acknowledge that you may be asked to move. Yep. So I was like, okay, I'm booking these seats, but if somebody needs them, I'm going to get up and move. But then after I purchased them, I was thinking, this is weird because if you're in a wheelchair, why do you need a seat? You're already because you go with somebody. You're already sitting down. That's what I figured, and that's. But yeah. I was like, these seats are right beside each other. Right. You know what I mean? There's no space. Anyway, my wife gets there, and it's just like a plot of land. Like there mm. is no seat mm. that we had reserved, so we would have to kind of stand in a wheelchair area. Mm. So they they're like this always happens. They're, they're like this is a stupid fucking program here. Glitch in the fucking. It's yeah. it and this happens like every week. So they're like, we're gonna refund your ticket because you can't even you're not even allowed to stand in the plot if you're not in a wheelchair. So we refund and my wife and I have to sit on complete opposite ends of the theater. Hmm. And of course, I'm sitting beside a total weirdo who's <laughs> in a purple suit like, with <laughs> makeup on. <laughs> Enjoy the film, Shane. Well, at first it would just seem like a cool black guy, which is not the way my mind always thinks of incel as like nerdy white guy. So mm. I'm like, all right, I kind of trust this guy. He was he, <laughs> he was alone. But I sit down and he's chuckling to himself at weird parts in trailers. Oh, he's no. like, <laughs> like he's I swear to God, it seems like I'm making this up for comedy. I am not. And I didn't even know in the movie that the Joker had um, a weird uh, condition yeah. that makes him laugh at inappropriate moments yeah but the guy next to me had that condition wow like mm -hmm. i don't know if it was a condition but he laughed at very inappropriate moments and apparently my wife told me she had people like that who were a group of people who were very strange and doing very strange things must have heightened the experience i recommend kind of it in the theater because you do feel like you may be murdered in the theater and which adds happen. to the tension of the film um, were you at jackson square shane jackson square yeah See, I saw it at Jackson Square, too. It was the exact same thing. There was, like, a lot of – not a lot, but there was definitely a handful of strange people in the theater making weird sounds at weird times. And I was like, this is adding to the creepiness of the Oh, movie. yeah. And when somebody was uh, – I'll just uh, – very minor spoiler. Someone is killed in the movie. Well, you know, let's do this, and then we'll go into criticism of the movie, and we'll say spoiler alerts. But I'm just saying – Yeah, uh, totally. totally. At, at a point of violence, someone would scream out in a very scary way, You dead! Oh, get out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> And then the crowd would kind of creepily laugh. Like, you know, some Toronto crowds. <laughs> would you be shocked if it turned out that was Alex from the other side of the theater? <laughs> I would. Yeah, that was a very deep voice. But in a, in a Toronto crowd, if someone yells out, it's not appreciated by the audience. Like, if you yelled out a funny comment, they'd be like, shut up. Oh, big time, yeah. But in Hamilton, you, you get a little bit of uh, uh, laughter throughout. Oh, so this person was being rewarded for Don't their... Don't encourage them, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so I saw this, uh, this in a theater by myself in Toronto... And it was an unsettling film, and it is kind of weird to see. It. I see movies by myself all the time, but this definitely was a different sort of experience. Not nearly, I think, as sort of unsettling as what you and Max had. But uh, I was more interested in sort of like all of the talk before the film came out. Like the, the idea that people would start to write things about this film without seeing it. Um, or would have opinions on Twitter or why this movie was bad for society or why it, it might potentially be dangerous was just interesting to me. And, and honestly, in some ways, it kind of worked. I was kind of like, I found myself thinking like, yeah, why would you make this film? Like, what like what does it contribute? And then I, got, I would get in a big discussion with this guy, Alex, who I work with, he sits next to me, about sort of the, the role that that art should play in society. Like, what, what is the responsibility of the artist? Meaning, like, the artist might say, well, we're just holding up a mirror to society. So if violent things happen in society or some things are unexplainable or there are no happy resolutions, it's like, shouldn't we as artists be able to show that? Or is there a responsibility of people that put out sort of things for mass consumption that... Uh, it should maybe not be insightful or, or, or dangerous in, in any way. And so basically we get into this age-old conversation that people have had a million times about like the responsibility of art in society and the artist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Long story long, I went and saw the film. Um, and yeah, I thought it was like a, I thought it was a very good film for sure. There were certain things that I could like pick apart from where I'm like, oh, this is a bit much, that was it. And I also felt like it was a little bit more comic booky than people gave it credit for. People were basically like, oh, it's uh, 
it's it's uh, Taxi Driver or Mean Streets mm-hmm. or King of the Comedy, uh, but just it says Joker. I thought it still felt to me like a comic book movie, uh, but obviously had the ver- the realism of the violence and sort of like somebody in society who has a mental uh, disorder who's sort of been left behind, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Max, what was your experience leading into the film before we get into the actual film? Yeah, so I tried not to read too much about it, but I just knew it was being talked about and like... There's a lot of sort of the liberal sort of blogs that I read or websites that I like the slates or the Atlantics that were like, you know, calling it a problematic movie. And, you know, they didn't like the director, Todd Phillips, because he made some crack about social justice warriors or woke culture when it relates to comedy. So I just saw like some of those blurbs and headlines, but I try not to take too much of it in. Um, but again, I thought the movie was really interesting because whenever we see those superhero movies and we, you know, uh, see the villain, we don't know the villain's backstory ever. And so this was a great example of like what makes a person do evil things or violent things. And then when you go into the way, into the world that is presented in the Joker, where it's like, okay, this person uh, was, did, never had a father, you know, probably has a history of mental illness in the family. The mother was unstable, you know, life keeps on kicking him down. Like these are the kinds of people that I think generally commit terrible crimes. And it's, and I'm sort of sympathetic to these people because they just haven't had good luck in their life. And I really loved how they, you know, presented the, the Joker story. So I thought as a film, um, it didn't make me like, uh, think negatively about the Joker or even incels. It kind of made me have more sympathy for anybody who, you know, has that kind of condition. So I thought it was a film. It was really good. And to Shane's point, it's like, it wasn't overly like, um, it it wasn't like goofy in the violence. It was very real, which made it that much more scary to me. Uh, So I think as a film, I thought it was like really, really good. But then I, I of course, read the, the reviews afterward and they were saying, and people were saying it was like sympathetic to incels or encouraging people to maybe go out and act violently, but I thought it made it didn't it didn't glorify them at all. I thought it just made them, you know, seem like sad people. Like, wouldn't you guys agree that it just made every like anybody in that position to be like a pretty hard done by kind of person? Well, didn't you just say like it made, gave empathy to you towards people like that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but it didn't didn't see it didn't seem like it was like oh hey if if you're you know this kind of person go out and shoot people and you'll be rewarded and people will love you. It's well, like, no, it's, well, I know eh, I, see, it did seem like it that. It did seem me. like that. He would, he became, he became a symbol for, for like their frustration. It wasn't just like, like it was like, it was socioeconomic, you know, like he was poor and they resented the people that had money and they resented certain elements of society. And so he didn't like being kicked around. He didn't like being at the bottom anymore. And obviously that condition led him to be extremely violent uh, and then, obviously, by the end of the movie, he's glorified. He's dancing on a car. He has, and by the way, I should say these are the spoiler alert. We're going to go a bit into the movie now. He's, he's, and sorry, Erica, if uh, you know you're planning to see it. You know, he's dancing on the car. Like the framing of it, like it's, it, 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 it does make somebody sort of think. Well, hey, if I'm a nobody, I can become a somebody by disrupting the system and being violent and sort of acting on these impulses. I don't know. I they just were don't... playing pretty cool music behind him in, in slow motion. Like hundred percent. At some point, I'm just like, I'm into the movie. I'm like, man, I'm glad those guys are dead. I wish right? I was the Joker. Crazy thoughts. Yeah. Like, and that's what the movie does, right? Like, so when he kills the Wall Street guys or whatever they are in Gotham, the equivalent, it's like you have this weird sense of satisfaction. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's another thing with this movie is like they really laid it on thick with the people that bullied. Like, they made them so irredeemable. Whether it was the kids in the beginning that stole the sign, or the fucking Wall Street bankers that sexually harassed the girl, and then they beat up this guy in a subway. It's like the worst of the worst that he kills. It's like, and I also think there was a cop out. This is going to be a spoiler, but do you think he kills the neighbor with the kid? Uh, I would, geez, I don't know. You'd think that's a great question. Uh, because if it's the way incels are when they're rejected by a woman, they kind of would want to kill them. So I would think yes for that, but. Like, I feel like... Because he felt rejected by her, right? I don't think he ever had an interaction with her. I think he built up in his mind. This is the other thing. The film does this sort of clever thing where they it's an unreliable narrator. So, like, right off the top, they show you that he has this fantasy about being on the Robert De Niro show. And then you go, okay, I don't know how much of this I'm going to... is true going through, right? So all of his interactions with her, other than the, the one in the elevator, the very first one, I don't think he has any. Mm-hmm. And then I believe he's, he's for real in... But they let us behind the curtain that that is a delusion. Oh yeah, within the editing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I knew from I knew right away just because she also was like, why is this woman? 
like I, to me that wasn't a reveal but i i like um i read a piece after because i looked online i'm like did he kill the girlfriend or whatever did he this it's open to interpretation okay. which i do think is a cop-out because everybody he essentially killed in the film is kind of a shitty person mm-hmm. which is one way to put it and the truth is when when people that have mental illnesses or they're angry or they act out in these ways a lot of times they don't give a shit who their victims are. So it's 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 somebody walking to work one day that literally has two kids at home that will never see mm-hmm. a, a father again or a mother again. And so it's like when you see it in the package that this film is in, it's it's like ooh, like it's cathartic almost the way that the people he kills. That's why I thought by not showing whether he killed, like he spared the little person, right? So he kills. Yeah. He because kills the, the little asshole. person was never mean to him. He's like, you're always nice to me. Gives him a kiss on that the head. That was such a good scene. It's great that part. It was great. The movie's very very good, but I thought as like a sort of a. St- um, a, ref- a mirror of society or maybe the way one would behave mm-hmm. I think they needed to sh- give us resolution on what he did with the female neighbor because by not doing that they intentionally don't put us in a position where like do you still feel good about that character if he murders the woman and her child I, here's the thing is I know like you guys are saying that he has been glorified because the music's cool and the people that he kills are like unlikable but the whole movie is so grim and it's so dark and he's so clearly troubled that like I don't think there's a real shine on him. I, I like I maybe if you're mentally unwell, you, you're gonna look at that and go, yes, this is like my time to shine. But I th- I just feel like the whole thing is just like a very sad portrait of a guy. But and by the way, I'm not an incel, so like maybe you'd have to ask them to see if like this was like a best case scenario for an incel. But I think like the whole thing is shown in such a dark manner, and it's so violent, and he's so troubled. Is he even yeah. is he an incel though? Like I don't like I don't like it, they've kind of like. Like, that term is, has commandeered this movie, and they think it's a movie about... I mean, he's a guy that lives with his mother, but it's like... And he's, he's, he's obviously... Uh, he has mental issues. Yeah. I, I think he's involved, involuntarily celibate because he wants to be in a relationship with that woman. He clearly fantasizes about her, right. and he could never... He's not stable enough, and he's, does, he lives at home. He doesn't have any real means of income. He's mentally ill. I would say that's a but, definition but, but, of involuntarily I mean, celibate. I don't know, but I, I, I mean, I again, I don't know enough, and we should probably have somebody on here that could speak to an incel. But I thought it was the idea of rejection was a big thing with incels. Like they've tried, they keep trying, and they, they, there's no way in. He's so insular with everybody. It's not just women. It's like he has trouble interacting. Like he's so like like whether it's a social. So do a lot of incels. Yeah. yeah, sure, but I mean, like it seems like the rejection of women and sort of like the way that. Um, they feel like women can control uh, what they, they, they choose. And that like certain men will be able to be with women, but then you aren't able to because they're controlling the situation. Again, I'm, I'm sort of speaking mm-hmm. not from a, a place of like expertise or anything, but it would seem that the Joker's issue was with society as a whole. Maybe it is. Maybe yeah, I am Well, that's wrong. incel's issue too, that right. society rejects them. They're not popular within the confines of the society. The Chads and the Stacys, which are considered like people who are – uh, high value uh, socially or an attractive level or charisma. But these, but but those people can still work in society, have friends. You know what I mean? Like do things, and it's just they can't. Who can? Incels. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, a lot of them are, are socially awkward, and a lot of them look perfectly normal. They they just have a dysmorphia where they think they're ugly because their personality isn't sociable or charismatic. Right. So they do find a community typically online, so and that's think- where their friends. Lie. So you think the Joker is an incel in this I, movie? I would say he's the definition of an incel. Okay. So the other thing that gets confusing, I think, is that they really. They oh, wait, do, do you think the Joker is dateable? Like he could actually pull a woman? In like I don't a think he could do anything. I don't think he could have a job. Yeah, I don't it, think which he is could, incel. Yeah. But but I, but I guess the thing is, like, I think an incel could work in IT for twenty years. I think an incel could hold a job. Sure. I think that they could have conversations with their, the, you know, their coworkers. I think they could have friends, and then they have issues with the way that they're treated by women. Yeah, and you can be the opposite of that. You can be have a job and be an incel, or uh, live at home with your mother and be an incel. The key, the the operative word is: Are you involuntarily celibate? And those things are both true for both those scenarios. Right. I guess what I'm saying is I just didn't see enough interaction between him and like in a way where he wanted to. Like, I'm just saying like. Well, you think if he could, Joker could pull tail. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, no I idea. think for sure he could not. Right. He had zero game in that way. Sure. But I'm just saying like he seemed pretty confident at the end on the game. On he the was t- cool ne- at the end, but he also knew he was about to do an ultimate act sure. which gave him a, a sense of freedom yeah. i guess i just don't know the parameters of the definition i, I, I guess what i'm saying is it's like i think it's the joker, when you're involuntarily celibate that's the definition mike right that's it okay and i would say the joker definitely is okay uh, yeah i don't know I'll, I'll, the movie showed me he had 
a myriad of issues with society, mm -hmm. not just females. You sure, know? and so do a lot of incels. But a lot of non incels, yeah. a lot of non incels also have fantasies about a neighbor that they would never ask out. Right, because they know they'd be rejected because society uh, casts them with a certain value. No, but like I'm saying, anybody, like friends of ours that maybe would never ask a neighbor out because they were just like, ah, it's, it's too, it'd be too awkward. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's what the Joker is. I'm just saying I don't know. I, I'm saying like I'm not painting him with that just brush. Like I don't know if he's involuntarily celibate. I don't know. The Joker, even as a character, eventually ends up dating Harley Quinn and all these other people. So we don't know what the Joker becomes and how he changes or how an incel would change. And I don't know enough about them. I was just saying that I think he has a ton of me mental issues that go beyond um, yeah, and ability I think to date somebody. I would say all the incels who have uh, committed egregious acts have mental issues accompanying their inability to sleep with women. That have com committed the acts. So then I of guess course. that would be the question. Anyone who commits a crime like this, if, if you're not mentally ill, that, that doesn't make any sense. You would have to almost be mentally ill to commit a, an act like this. Yeah. Or be on the spectrum, or you, it's a you know big what question. I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like I guess being a sociopath, or like I mean, he like that's the thing we don't know, right? This is is this a film about mental illness? It would seem so. Right? It definitely is. They yeah. talk about it. He's off his meds at absolutely, the end, absolutely. and that I think that also gave him confidence to act a little bit cooler because he had so much. Uh, he was so liberated to not be on that, those seven meds. Yeah, and I. Th but the thing is, too, I think this is where the movie gets a little bit confusing. Is like they kind of mix up a sense of. Uh, like, there's people that also feel like society is not working out for them. And these people aren't incels. These are people who have families and have jobs. And yeah. they feel like that, like, uh, it's the classic, like, socioeconomic, the rich get richer, the poor are just down in the gutter, and what about the rest of us? They mix that sentiment up with whatever else the Joker has going on. I'm being bullied. I get picked on on the subway. Because mm -hmm. I think all, showing all of these people getting into this movement with the clown masks and everything, they're not necessarily responding to the fact that they don't have wives or girlfriends or can't. Um, get along in society they can they're almost they're almost um reacting to an inequality between rich and yep. poor so it's like so the movie kind of does this thing where you, you can be both those things though you can be an incel and have those things you can also have a job and be an incel i completely yeah. agree okay yeah i completely agree but what i'm saying is it's like many people feel the way like about the inequality of society right now mm -hmm. that would see a cathartic thing like a movement like what the Joker started and maybe they don't relate to like the part where they can't get a date but they absolutely will have that feeling where it's like it's like you look down on us in society and fuck you you get what you deserve that would be cathartic for a lot of people that aren't as like unstable as the Joker I think just that are feeling down and out and pissed off it's yeah. sort of like what we've been talking about with since 2016 and the way that how that manifests so I think the movie muddies those i don't think that's necessarily wrong by the way I, I think i think it's like it is what it is you know what i mean maybe it is a mirror for society i don't know but i think like the reason that the movie might be considered like dangerous or triggering or whatever the word is is because i think a lot of people that aren't just socially awkward like all of the sort of like ticks and sort of mental issues that the joker displays i think the way he acts which is obviously very extreme but it does start a movement of people that are pissed off it's like, I think that is a powerful thing regardless. Like, you don't have to be as messed up as the Joker to, like, have those feelings be risen in you and feel weirdly good mm -hmm. at the end when he's dancing on the car. It does a funny yeah. trick, you know? Well, and when when the guys are on the subway car and they're being very rude to a woman, I'm like, yeah, I want those guys dead. Kill them, Joker. But that's because I also, I know it's in the confines of a movie, and I look at a movie through a different prism, and it's a not a real world, and that's my form of vengeance, movie vengeance. In real life, I'd be like, those guys have a family. They're just drunk. They're having a very bad night where they're they're not looking. But what if you're someone right that's now? just like, look at those guys in their $1,000 suit. Like, that's enough for some people. But if you think, look at those guys in their $1,000 suit, kill them, I would think you'd have to be mentally ill. Yeah, I don't know. I don't or know you answer. just, you yourself are under the influence and you just do something by a crazy impulse. Yeah. And then you just regret it for the rest of your life, I would think. I don't know. There's also that argument, too, that movies like this um, are, are a cathartic fantasy. For people that harbor those thoughts, it's like they can watch something like this. It cathartically sort of like scratches the itch in the and fantasy. And you never act on it. And, of course, and I think that 99.9% .9 of people would never act on these things. But then you hear about school shooters that feel bullied. You know what I mean? The reasons, the reasons they all act. This might come back to you, Max. We've kind of just frozen you out since you're on the phone, which is a disadvantage, yeah. we realize. But... Um, it's like you said, you, you know, the movie really allowed you to have empathy for the Joker, who's somebody who's obviously very mentally ill, and then they, they act out uh, at society because they feel so downtrodden and beaten down. Do you think that, like, that is what happens when it comes to things like school shooters or, like, people that sort of uh, assault society in, like, a large way? 
mass shooters? Yeah, totally. Exactly what Shane said is that it's like for anybody to actually like you know pull out a gun and start shooting at people, uh, it's got to be a combination of uh, mental illness and also just like you know feeling frozen out of society. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think there's no question that anybody, any school shooter or any or anybody who acts out in that kind of way is is definitely suffering in, in some major major way. Do you, um, think, hey, do, you th- do you think if the movie ahead. depicted more like um, positive things in the Joker's life, like like let's say his life was actually pretty good. Like here's a question: like do you think that you say people be mentally ill that like act out right because they feel like wronged in some way or they feel like they're bullied? Do you think that those things would still happen if society wasn't so? I mean, this movie presents a society that's very wretched, and I think there's a lot of negativity in the world that we could see if you just sort of like look at the news. But there's also good in the world, and I think these people that act this way maybe are incapable of feeling that good. Definitely, they can't have empathy for the people that they kill. It's it's always interesting that the onus is on us to have empathy for, say, a mass shooter or someone violent like the Joker. But it's like, where's their empathy for the people that they kill? Well, the problem is, like, if you look at the the last guy uh, when the the Batman movies came out, the yeah. guy dresses the Joker and he shot up a movie theater. Yeah. If if you research that guy, like I've seen a school presentation he did where he was a totally normal person. He was telling jokes and very, hi- highly intelligent. If you see him now, he can't put, string a sentence together. Something snapped and uh, schizophrenia or something kicked in later on in his life, and he's a completely different person. He's not the same guy who was giving that school presentation who had friends who was just this guy with an uh, outstanding IQ. He is a mentally ill person now, so I have empathy for that. The act itself, I have no, like, I can't even understand that at all. But the person who's mentally ill, I feel very bad for them because they're delusional. They're they're living in an alternate reality where they actually believe they're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to do is like, what's the solution? You know. Well, the solution is just healthier communities. It's like if you, if it's like it's up to the people in charge to act with like empathy and grace and generosity. So it's like. Okay, first of all, like let's not have guns readily available to buy. Let's make sure that income inequality uh, is as good as it can be. Let's make sure that there's you know social programs for anybody who's born into tough circumstances that they have a shot too. So if you like look at the places, you know, n- northern Europe or whatever that just has like great social safety nets and they don't have a ton of guns, these things don't typically happen as much. Like Canada is also not a bad example of that either. So it's like that is really, I think, the solution if we're looking to like make sure there's no jokers. It's like a combination of like the lack of resources of these people and not having them like not and also not existing in a society where you know violent images and violent weapons are at their disposal at every turn. So I, it's it's funny you mentioned the violent images thing. I saw a, an interesting thing on Twitter how like people that lean left, you know, whenever the right says like, well, video games are the reason these people shoot things up. Everybody on the left goes, um, well, no, it's not video games. A million people play video games every day, and it's not the video games that make people shoot people. It's other issues. But then the minute the Joker was coming out, all of those same people on the left were saying, like, this movie's going to make people shoot people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's one way or the other. Either entertainment makes people act out and do these things, or it doesn't. You know, you know what I mean? I really think it's a holistic thing. It's, it's like it's really everything makes a difference. So it's like... I think American culture, uh, I think gun culture in America is very pervasive. I think it like dictates the way people act around each other. Um, you know, I just finished this Malcolm Gladwell book where basically it's like every cop who makes a traffic stop. This, might, this literally might be the fourth pod in a row where you've mentioned Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> Did you, Max? No, it's great. Really, Max? You're reading Malcolm Gladwell? Are you a fan? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am. I'm not to be that guy at the party, as I said on the last podcast. But um, <laughs> But anyway, let's uh, last question I want to know uh, your guys' opinion on as movie buffs. Do you think the fact that Todd Phillips, who is most known for uh, the Hangover movies, the fact that he directed this movie, do you think it's clouding the way critics are seeing it? Because I feel like the movie was pretty well executed other than the fact that it was a bit of a ripoff for like Taxi Driver and the other movies you mentioned, those like 80s, like dark uh, kind of crime movies. Um, do you think if it was somebody else that made the exact same movie, but it was a director that was like more beloved, like P.T. Anderson? That, yeah, like P.T. Anderson basically made the same thing, and it was an ode to Scorsese. Like, do you think it would have been better received? It'd still be controversial. Sure, but I'm just saying, like, it would, would absolutely be I, better received. Yeah, it, what's it sitting at? Like, sixty percent around tomorrow? Fifty-eight? It was sixty-nine yeah. when I checked it. That it could have changed. Yeah, I think it. it you're, that's a good question, Max. I think people are also. 
pissed at him for that that article in Vanity Fair or whatever where he said they asked him why he doesn't make comedies anymore and you mentioned this off the top and he said well why would anyone make a comedy now because they're just going to get canceled or whatever and he made the thing about the social justice warriors that pissed a lot of people off as well but yeah maybe it is because he's his pedigree's comedy he did a movie called War Dogs as well with Jonah Hill and um, I'm blanking on that other guy's name Miles Teller thank you uh, that was kind of his foray into more serious fare I don't think that movie did much I never saw it but I mean I mean, just not like I agree. I think this movie is very good. Like, it's really well made. Mm-hmm. It's affecting. It's like a good conversation piece. Like, and, and, and he it, wrote it. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. nuts. I um, can't believe he's this good. <laughs> he actually co-wrote it with a guy. Uh, yeah, something silver, I think. But he, <laughs> it's a good movie, man. Like, like it's funny. We were Shane and I were avoiding talking about it because we wanted to talk about it on this podcast. But it's like, I, I'm surprised that people don't think it's a well-made movie that is affecting and that Joaquin Phoenix isn't fucking amazing in this role. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing in it. But yeah, you're, we haven't even mentioned that. He's, he's incredible. But this is what I'm saying. It's like the chatter around the movie, I feel like, in the press was based on the fact that Todd Phillips basically called the press like social justice warriors, like woke people, and that's very annoying as an artist trying to do something honest. And so the minute he said that, I feel like, the, like the, the commentary around it, people were just looking to poke holes like in anything they could find. Uh, and I just find that to be very interesting. So when it comes to like the press game, it's like which, which directors sort of ingratiate themselves with the press, who are the most sort of like enlightened and who are the people that are not willing to play that game. And, and, you know, and based on Todd Phillips, other like film history of being like, you know, the guy known for a goofy comedy, uh, you have no one like that community was just willing did not want to get on board but there's a, this kind of came up you sent an edward norton uh interview which i thought was interesting and at one point he gets very contentious with the interviewer because the interviewer asks um about his reputation for being difficult on movies and he sort of becomes a bit combative but the and i thought the interviewer handled themselves well like it's a valid question so when todd phillips or joaquin phoenix recently walked out of i think something in paris when they asked about the propensity for people to commit violence after seeing this he movie, came back though did he okay yeah, cool he you checked back. that out so so it's like I think the press can ask valid questions. I guess what I want to know from Todd Phillips, and maybe he spoke to this, I didn't read his piece, but it's like, does he not think that movies can influence people? Does he, like, does he think movies are capable of being, of being dangerous, one? And two, he might not think this movie is. Or maybe he's like, let the art speak for itself. Uh, but do you guys think that a film can like be influential in, in a very dangerous way? And is there a responsibility from a filmmaker to sort of make what they want to make or make something that maybe... Uh, doesn't hurt or potentially hurt society. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Time will tell if this ends up being an influential movie for some mass murderer. I don't know. But if I'm Todd Phillips, I'm just going, can you just evaluate the movie if it's a good piece of art? Like, can we just have a conversation of, like, whether the story is executed well, if it's shot beautifully? Like, these are the things, as an artist, that I would like feedback on. I don't want feedback on some, like, sort of political commentary like because that's like a, just a different exercise altogether so it's just like when when the critical community sort of like blends those two things together it's like okay am i am i supposed to be just making a political statement or can i make a piece of art and i think for a lot of musicians or artists or writers who just are kind of interested in trying to tell an honest story and then they go oh i'm actually supposed to be sort of like flying a flag when i do anything for a particular political movement, that is frustrating to me. And I sympathize with that. Yeah, I think it could influence someone for sure. And it could also be the catharsis someone needs to maybe not commit the act because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of seeing how this ends up because it was done in such a realistic way. But I also think uh, you should be able to make the movie that you want. And if someone's going to do something like this, it's like they're just kind of waiting for the catalyst to come along anyway to, to be the excuse, right? If you're, yeah. if you're like that, it's only a matter of time before something inspires you or you're going to seek out these types of materials anyway. So, yeah, I, in the grand scheme, I don't think it makes a difference of uh, if it's going to happen. It's kind of, I guess, just wow, how and when the motivation is going to strike you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're living in, in, in a wild time. And I think, Max, you sort of delineated it very well, which is it's two different conversations. You know what I mean? It's like, one, are we just talking about the piece or are we, we do having like a conversation about sort of its effect on society? And I guess those are two totally different conversations. But that's why, I mean, obviously, it's easy when you're outside of sort of like maybe the cone of potential violence or if it hasn't touched your life to sort of say like i i think this piece is actually more reflective in a mirror of maybe current society or at least ideas that we're talking about and things that are around us and that makes it interesting 
and I think it's very, very well done. It'd be weird to me if someone thought this was not a well-made film. Like, the framing, so much thought went into this film. Um, it's just a very, very good film mm-hmm. with, like, I think, an all-time performance. Um, and it lends itself to, like, great conversation after. Uh, you know what I mean? What are, we, what are we doing if we're not sitting around talking about sort of, like, these ideas and what they might mean? That's kind of what we all enjoy about hanging out with yeah. each other. And the movie and, certainly and, and, and this is where I get frustrated when I read Slate magazine. And I'm, I subscribe to their podcast. Like, I go to their website. But they go, like, the, they kind of double down on their dislike for the film where they go, actually, the problem isn't the violence. The problem is it's just a boring movie. Huh. There you go. I'm like, how could you call that movie a boring movie? Like, it's, like, it's riveting and it's, like, intense and the performances are amazing. But it, it seems like, are you just saying that it's a boring movie because you just want another reason to justify not liking it because the first reason and the real reason why you dislike it is that you think it's like not politically correct or something. I don't know. Um, and that's where I'm just like, I'd like to have just like an honest conversation when it comes to this stuff. Okay. Let's move on to our next subject. Uh, more light fare. Uh, let's talk about China and communism. Um, so right now there's a big story in the NBA and I know sometimes we talk about the NBA and people are like, you're talking about the NBA again, but this is actually a story that is larger than our favorite league. What happened was uh, there's a bunch of NBA teams during the preseason that are over uh, in China, in Japan. They're playing. Actually, the Raptors are one of those teams in Japan right now. Uh, But Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets, tweeted support for Hong Kong and the protests going on in Hong Kong. This story, you should read more about it, but essentially uh, there's like sort of like a a, a two systems, one country uh, thing going on in China right now where Hong Kong was given back to the Chinese after like imperial rule, uh, but they wanted to keep sort of their political system. China as a whole has a different political system, so they sort of all agreed that they would just continue on like this, that there would be two different systems. But China would probably love to, to have Hong Kong back and under sort of the same political system. The issue is uh, they're very sensitive uh, toward, I guess, outsiders having an opinion on the way that they sort of run things and the way they do things um, because obviously their history is mirrored in the British and all sorts of people coming over and sort of uh, capitalizing on those places. Wars have been fought over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not a history scholar. I'm just sort of letting you know maybe where the anger comes from. So right now there are protests in Hong Kong because uh, there was recently like a law enacted where China could extradite people from Hong Kong that maybe had committed a crime and then gone back to Hong Kong, which is a bit complicated because, again, it's two different systems. Uh, the reason that the people of Hong Kong don't want this to happen is because, essentially, if someone from China, if China, the Chinese government decided to extradite someone from Hong Kong uh, for, like, say, faulty reasons, which some would argue actually happens under the systems, there are, uh, you know, certain human rights violations and, and, and things that are committed by the government that us in the West would find... Uh, unlawful, uh, murder. People far smarter than me could probably speak to this more. But essentially, this is why the Hong Kong protests are happening. I guess Daryl Morey, to bring it back to the NBA uh, and GMs, he tweeted his support for the protests in Hong Kong to try and get this extradition thing uh, abolished uh, because I guess he has friends in Hong Kong. I'm not sure what his motive was, but he sort of late at night one night uh, decided to say, I stand with the people of uh, Hong Kong. This goes against everything that um, the Chinese government uh, stands for, which they think that anything that will upset sort of the unrest of their their government or their social order and sanctity uh, is a threat to the state. So they banned the Houston Rockets from anything in China. They took them off all their platforms. Uh, You cannot buy their stuff because the government obviously controls the flow of anything, uh, goods, entertainment, all of that stuff. Uh, They basically moved quickly and, and swiftly and they said, that's it. We're done with the Houston Rockets. The owner loses his mind of the Houston Rockets. He basically throws his gym under the bus. He says, he doesn't represent our views, um, and we would like to make this right. The league is like, shit, China is a billion-dollar sort of arm of our uh, business. Like, as our partners, this is sort of like, they've almost like, they've, I guess business-wise, they've not tapped out North America, but they know what they can make. They know what the growth potential is. So if you go over and you have business in China or India, if you're the NBA, there's so much money over there to keep lifting the business, which is good for the players. Also, Nike, who has shoe deals with LeBron James, James Harden, they do business over there. So it's kind of this political uh, landmine. That was a long explanation, but essentially what we're getting to is the idea that Daryl Morey backed down. He deleted his tweet. He said, sorry. The NBA said, we're sorry that this has caused an issue, but we stand with Daryl Morey's right to free speech. He's allowed to say what he wants to say without threat of losing his job or being sort of like um, banished by the NBA because you can't let China dictate how they do their business. 
China, who knows they are a major, major business partner and have billions of dollars at stake, have basically flexed. And they have said, we're not only canceling the Houston Rockets, but we're not going to air the two games that are coming up tomorrow. I'm not sure when you hear this podcast, which is the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis and Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving. So it seems like even with sort of a, a, an attempt to make amends by the commissioner, Adam Silver, China has said, uh, no bueno. <laughs> and now I'm mixing uh, languages. Uh, this isn't good. We're flexing. Fuck it. So I don't know what the NBA has to do to get back into China's good graces. And it's kind of fascinating because it brings up a whole bunch of issues. Why did you want to talk about this, Maxi? A couple different reasons. Yeah. I mean, did you see this morning China also uh, they canceled some like charity events and stuff that yep. were related to the NBA and Special Olympics. So they, they're in fuck you mode for sure. Um, the, the two things I kind of wanted to get at, one was um, Steve Kerr's response um, and the other was um, this idea that the NBA has sort of been posturing as this very like woke organization and one that really encourages their athletes to speak out on issues. But when it comes to China uh, and also when it comes to their bottom line, they have been a little bit more timid about it. And so people are saying, are being critical of the NBA and saying, you're no different than the NFL, a league that we kind of despise because they didn't get behind Colin Kaepernick. Uh, and you guys, you know, are, are, are being shown for what you truly are, which is just another business. So maybe we start with Steve Kerr. Uh, Steve Kerr is the coach of the Warriors. He was asked about the situation in China. He's been asked about many political issues. He talks a lot about gun rights in America. He's very outspoken. He's very generally progressive and liberal, especially for a professional sports coach. And his response was, you know what? It's a seems like a bizarre international incident that we're all learning a lot about. I'm not going to speak out on it this minute because I don't know enough. And um, I'm going to email my brother-in-law, who's actually a professor in uh, like on a Chinese history, and I'll get back to you. And a lot of people that I follow on Twitter who are like liberal sports writers hammered him for this. They said, this is so hypocritical for Steve Kerr to be talking out on guns and social issues in America, but the second it comes to his business, i.e. the NBA, he's not saying anything. And I just was curious to know what you guys felt about that, because I, I was actually a lot more sympathetic to Kerr, and I feel like I would have done what Kerr would have done if I didn't know what I was talking about. I just wouldn't have started like talking about something that I was unfamiliar with. How do you think, um, you know, if it, like the coaches? ought to respond in this situation? Like, do you think Kerr was offside for not giving a harder answer, like a harder hitting answer? Or what do you guys think? No, he would have gotten in trouble. He's no, Kerr is no different than any of us. Like, we're scared to talk out our ass just because we're asked a question. Because what if we're wrong or what if we don't say it perfectly? And then he, his platform is so huge and, and magnified that he could get in trouble by the NBA or lose his job or lose his team money or all those consequences. I understand the frustration from the sports writers, though, because it's like Popovich had a similar answer where he just he praised Adam Silver and didn't say anything about Del Mori or, you know, issues that might be happening as far as like uh, what goes on in China and sort of the human rights violations. That's the issue that people have with it is it's like so. OK, so for someone like Steve Kerr, I guarantee you has an opinion, but he wasn't going to share it in a public forum. Again, that's fine. But what I think happened over these last couple of years, whether it's the Donald Sterling thing and the racism or Colin Kaepernick, it's like these people are willing to share their opinion. And maybe they're not the most informed on these opinions that are happening domestically in America, but they're sort of like, I see right and wrong, and this is what I'm going to say. When it comes to their own business, and, and I'm sure they were told by the NBA League office, everyone needs to tread lightly or not say anything at all. Uh, it becomes a lot more difficult to sort of look a billion-dollar gift horse in the mouth and then actually just share your opinion. But I guarantee you Steve Kerr has an opinion, but he wasn't going to share it, um, not necessarily because he didn't want to seem misinformed. And I, no, I don't know. I'm not in his heart. I'm not in his mind. But I'm just saying it's very convenient to not have an opinion on something when all of a sudden your job might be at stake. And by the way, the Golden State Warriors are the most popular team in China outside of the Houston Rockets until recently. Mm -hmm. But of course he has an opinion. He's just scared to speak on it publicly in case it's perceived wrong. And but he's he, not scared to speak on anything else. Well, okay, well, here's, here's where I kind of disagree, disagree is that, like, I, until literally two weeks ago when I started to, like, kind of uh, hear about these protests in Hong Kong and, like, other sort of nefarious practices by the Chinese government. Like, You didn't think China had a record of human rights violations for the last... No, no, like, definitely, definitely. But I'd also say that... My friend Eli taught in China for three years, and he had a relatively positive experience. I know that, like, the NBA uh, has gone over there. Like, nobody—I don't think 
China would be in the same category uh, on a political or social level as like Nazi Germany or as other places like in the Middle East where the, they're lacking human rights. And so it's like, I just, it's it, because I may, maybe we've all been blinded because there's so much business opportunity, but I think there's like, you can say in good faith that we were just genuinely blinded by the business business opportunities that we just didn't think about it hard enough because we go, oh, there's a protest in China. Well, there's also been lots of protests in America for lots of dumb shit that we do. So it's like I can kind of understand if a lot of people go, they wouldn't send us over to a place that's that terrible, would they? Uh, sure, China's got its own issues. It's a little strange place for sure. But, you know, it's it's got a rising middle class. Infrastructure is amazing, et cetera, et cetera. I, I can see somebody in that mindset because I don't think I was – that far off of it. Because if it was a place that was that terrible, I would never consider going vacation. My aunt is going to China in three days to visit her family. And all that stuff feels very normal to me. So, like, I don't know, maybe I've just been blinded or turning a blind eye. But I can imagine because of the circumstances that we're, that, that we've lived in for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it would be easy to go, okay, I'm not really going to interfere with their business because generally speaking the place is not so bad that my best friend uh, would be afraid to go teach there or my aunt would be afraid to go back and visit their family compared to many other places in the world. So like, is, is that, is that, am I being too easy on someone like Steve Kerr or any of the coaches for that matter to, to have thought that and then all this shit hits the fan and then to go, okay, I need a second to sort of collect my thoughts. You know, and, and like, the truth is, I don't know enough about it. So, like, even though I'm, I'm sort of taking the position of I'm just skeptical of, like, to you, your point, you said that they they posture as like a very sort of socially conscious organization, meaning the NBA, and then now this thing has happened, and there's a, there's a group of people that are saying that like China is problematic for a lot of reasons, and now that it's sort of come up, the minute that the someone in the NBA has a thought about it, the NBA clams up and they don't have an opinion on it all of a sudden, even though I'm sure. They're aware, but maybe they're not. And by the way, like I don't, I don't know enough. There, we might have people listening to, the, to this now that that you know uh, are from China or whatever, and they would say, actually, this is the reality of what the situation is. I don't know the answer necessarily. And we welcome that opinion, by the way. Yeah. Like, please let us. Know but there's enough. There's enough people saying that there are major human rights violations and all this stuff, as the way we perceive it in the West and our sort of way of doing things. Which, by the way, they obviously don't want to do things that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you go into somebody's house, I, I suppose it's their rules. And what is anyone's responsibility to sort of try and change that in other places domestically. But I think for sure the NBA does have an opinion. Yeah. It's just they're not saying it because they don't want to be hurt economically. Like this is a, a shit ton of money. And I, I do think it's very different than as a risk than saying I don't support Donald Sterling and his racism or I don't support gun control laws. I wouldn't say that Steve Kerr was taking a risk in saying those statements. And I do commend Steve Kerr for even saying, I'm going to come back and talk about this. Because yeah. typically you would just say, oh, I can't really talk about this and I prefer not to. Because yeah. I don't know enough about it. End of story. The fact that he's coming back is amazing, and I consider it a huge risk. I think he's going to be talking to someone higher up in the NBA and get a little bit of a brief of exactly what to say. But I don't fault the NBA at all for not saying anything because this is what's keeping their business afloat. This is how they pay their players, and if they are helping out communities over here, it's the the lifeblood of it is a, that the the money they get from China is. Like the second most place they, they get it. They get billions of dollars from China. Yeah. That's a huge mother effing fan base. And Houston is the second most popular team in China. I guess the question would be like at what at what price? And I guess we know the price. It's a billion billions of dollars. Right. But the price is also sometimes there's a greater good. And sometimes you have to pick the lesser of two evils. Well, you know, okay, here's my other question for you guys. Because uh, Adam Silver put out a second statement after his first statement was was killed by a lot of people. Uh, and he goes, he finished, it's a nice statement. He goes, basketball runs deep in the hearts and minds of our two peoples at a time when divides between nations grow deep and wider, deeper and wider. We believe sports can be a unifying force that focuses on what we have in common as human beings rather than our differences. So like a lot of the statement is like that kind of tone. Um, I guess my question is like, do you think an organization like the NBA, uh, can have real social conscience or is it all of it just marketing? What would you think? Yeah, column A, column B situation. I think the Venn diagram can cross, but I definitely think it's super popular to be uh, inclusive to everyone because then you're not uh, alienating a, a subsection of the population. To be like, the NBA supports gay rights. Then all of a sudden, gay people will start uh, interacting with the NBA. Uh-huh. 
right? And then you make more money. So you can do all those things. Yeah, well, because for me, it's never really bothered me. If, if somebody wants to, like, take on the brand of, like, social inclusion, like, i.e. the MBA, I think that's a positive thing. That is, like, a net positive. And people can be cynical and go, well, they're just doing it for business. And they're like, well, you know what? If it, if it makes somebody who feels marginalized included, then that's okay with me. I mean, obviously, with this particular situation, he's got to put his sort of – He's at the crossroads here because he, uh, you know, the NBA and Adam Silver could lose out on, you know, billion dollar business. And it'll be interesting to see what he does. But I, but to, I don't know. To, I think tone is important when you're an organization and your words do matter. And I think the words and the actions of the NBA so far, it like has uh, been far more impressive than the NFL. And I think, I don't know, for, for that, for that reason alone, uh, you know, makes me admire them still. But, in a, but in a way that I, the only thing I'd say, and I listened, you sent the Rosillo podcast, and a lot of people have sort of taken this. Everyone's looking at it through like a business prism, which it is a business story ultimately. And this is why I feel ignorant because I don't know the extent to which the problematic things are with China. And obviously, it's like a, it's a different political system. It's a communist political system. They don't want people to protest. They don't want people to speak up. That there are consequences for freedom of speech in that country. So nobody ever talks about. That. I don't know. I don't know to what extent. Like you're saying anecdotally. Well, my aunt's gonna go back, and my friend Eli taught over there. You know. But it's like I. I, I guess the thing is, I just don't know the answer to, to to what they're doing that is bad, and I haven't heard anyone talk about it. Like so, I'd like to know the answer to that. And it's like once we find that out, and I guarantee you, the NBA knows the answer to that. They literally probably pay people to figure out all the potential pitfalls, all these things. But people just don't think about it. So when everyone keeps talking about this story. It's like, okay, so why is the NBA doing business with a communist country? Did they foresee these pitfalls once people started to go, oh, there are human rights violations? And to me, I keep using that word, but I don't really know exactly what that means. And we could probably have someone on here that's much smarter than me that could explain exactly what's, what's, what's maybe going on over there. I don't know the answer to that because what if it is bad, Max? Like, then is the NBA complicit in it in order to make money? Uh, maybe, but what if the NBA goes, you know what? Our presence there is bringing joy and unity and, like, sure, it's also making us a lot more money, but, like, this is not like an oil company going in and, like, you know, uh, degrading the natural resources of another country. This is, like, literally a sport that brings a lot of happiness to people. And so it's, like, for that reason alone, it's good to go into places that maybe don't always have, like, the opportunity to, to witness sport or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and then I go, I like, that's a very rosy way to look at it, but... I still don't think that it's like them taking on other territories and spreading spreading the game and the values of the game. I don't think that's a bad thing. Interesting. And for them, they're probably over there saying uh, in China, saying we're doing it right in this democratic nation. The the violence is through the roof. They think we're fucked up. Yeah, exactly. So we're assuming we're right because we're living this and we're under the guise of like that we have free speech. Right. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. over there. They're showing all the pitfalls of what happens over here, which yeah. is yeah. China goes. At least we have a fucking train system mm-hmm. that works. At least our like our highways are like kept under repair. At least like you know we have actually a growing middle class where you guys have a dwindling middle class. Like China, I'm sure could go like fuck you. You don't have it sorted out either. So, so we'll point out all the bad things going yep. on over China, and we'll cite that in our examples for why we're doing it right. Whereas they're going to just say, "You want anarchy? Go to the states right now." And you'll just be mm-hmm. shot probably, and that will be the fear. You know chaos, what I mean? right? Exactly. So it's yeah. like I yeah, think it the, is dicey too aunt- because you have to assume that we're doing it right, right? And a lot of people think that we are doing it right. We're a free nation, right? Even though I have feelings about that too, yeah, that totally. I feel like not truly free. None of us feel like we're going to be murdered or jailed for a long time based on something we say. But maybe mm-hmm. at a loss of that, you do feel safer. Maybe in a place where uh, things are a little bit more or a lot more regulated. So I don't know. Question. I don't know what's right or wrong. And I am I don't, a very I, dumb person. We need to ha- we need to have somebody on who has under like studied international politics and can actually say to us, this is the situation as I understand it and, and studied it. And obviously none of us on this podcast. Yeah. So I certainly haven't. I'm kind of going off a quick <laughs> two day Wikipedia read to go. What is going on here and what is the deal? And I don't know enough about it. And so I want to stress that. But it is fascinating. Uh, and. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people are copping out, but I'm just saying it's it's convenient that nobody has an opinion all of a sudden when there's billions of dollars on the line. Well, I think I think it's very obvious, and I think they know that we know. They just we just want them to admit it that they do have an opinion. They just can't say it. Yeah, and it's hard too because when there's many opinions and there's one front that needs to say the opinion, it's it's very tricky 
for everyone. You might as like, let's say within the NBA organization, there's 90 different takes on how to tweet this out. You might as well just go with the tweet that doesn't cost you $1 billion. Yeah. Do you guys think Daryl Morey keeps his job in G- the GM of the Houston Rockets? Yes. It seems like the owner 100%. is a nut job, so I think he might be fired. Only because the owner is a new guy who doesn't have like the relationship with Daryl Morey. And he's also, isn't the name of his book like, I'm a genius and you're an idiot kind of thing? I think <laughs> Something it's like that, yeah. His book. Yeah. And uh, so I wouldn't be, and he also seems a little unhinged too. The fact he's on Twitter, he's like, Daryl Moore does not speak for us. The NBA loves China. It's like, okay. Like they, they, they might not totally see eye to eye in the way other owners and GMs do. Yeah. I for sure think he's in big trouble, but I don't <laughs> think they're publicly going to say like he's in big trouble. Yeah. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see when China lets them off the hook, like lets them back in their good graces. Cause we're, as we're recording this, the NBA still doesn't know where it stands. We don't know if we're going to get those Lakers games tomorrow in Shanghai. Like, they might get canceled. If those get canceled, if you send LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving home from Shanghai without playing those games, you know that it's, it's bad. You know, it means that the relationship might be ruptured for quite some time. All right, let's get on the next one. We're, I th- don't I, we have to go back I to think work? We got it. I think we've got to wrap. We've all, <laughs> we're, we're done, brother. Yeah, we, we've, we've gone too long. Oh, okay, wicked. All right, well, how long <laughs> Happy birthday, Mike. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah. Uh, was this too? Was was this pod too heavy? I don't know. Sometimes you gotta mix one in, you know. Okay.